With the housing crisis being absolutely wild in Australia, a lot of us look to apartments. Uh, We might want to buy an apartment where we're working or where we want to live, close in the city. There's less apartments in regional Australia and more in the cities. That's a fact of life. And one thing we are seeing more and more of in our Facebook group is questions around uh, strata, the body corporate, uh, special levies, due diligence. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about that today. I'm joined by Jess Brady. She's a financial educator, financial advisor. She's been on the show many times before. You've probably heard we are launching a new podcast with Jess very soon. We might even, Jess, we might even give away the name of it later in the podcast. I love that you go rogue with this stuff, sure. I always go rogue and that's the worst part about me. I go rogue. But we can't do this episode without Sphere Home Loans. Thank you, Sphere. You've supported the podcast, but more importantly, you've supported listeners who are getting their first home, their first investment property, their second home, refinancing, all the things. Mortgage brokers are best to work with because they structure advice in your best interests, not the banks. So they work for you. So it's actually better for your overall financial situation. If you are interested in getting a home loan or a mortgage, just search Sphere Home Loans or click the link in the show notes and they'll be able to help you wherever you are. My name's Glenn James, joined by Jessica Brady. Let's do a podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jess, we've got a full deck of questions we're going to go through today. Do you want to see what Sean has to ask? And we'll uh, chew around that one first. Yes. And hey, I'm surprised we're allowed back together. Although you're the boss, so I guess we just we just do whatever you want. But thanks for having me. I'm super excited to go through all these juicy questions. Okay, question is, hi, everyone. We found an apartment in a small block of eight that ticks a lot of our boxes for an investment. There is a special body corporate levy for the next two years, $200 per week, plus some subsidence issues, which have been scoped and quoted but not completed, which will add more cost. Not a deal breaker, but we're planning to factor this into our offer. When making an offer, and the agent has said that all offers are considered, would you provide this context or is it unnecessary info that they won't care about? Mm. Well, I think before we get into this question, I just want to use it as a bit of an educational uh, exercise around uh, strata and body corporate and whatnot. So if there is an apartment, and Jess, you've likely lived in a strata complex before or own property within a strata complex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So effectively... If you are renting, the landlord would pay these fees. So it's an awesome thing not to have to worry about if you're renting. But if you own the property and you live in there or you are the the property owner, each quarter you'll have to pay uh, what they call administrative fees, which cover day-to-day running of the complex. So it could be the people that maybe remove the, um, the waste, clean the common areas, clean the car park, all the stuff, put the signages everywhere, do all that. And then there's another portion which goes into the Capital Works Fund or it could be called the Sinking Fund and that is basically worked out. Every couple of years the body corporate 
uh, committee with the Strata management um, organisation will say, hey, in 10 years' time, we're going to need a new roof, so we need to save for it now. So everyone, we need to put aside $100 a week or $50 a week, for example, each unit um, that will go into this sinking fund. So in, when the time comes, there's money there for the new roof. Now, just sometimes there's things that happen like subsidence. If you don't know what that is, that's the earth kind of falls. So it could be an old mining area or they've built a railway track underneath or something weird and the the earth has subsided and fallen. So there needs to be some rectification happening. That stuff's come out of the blue. Mm. Generally, it's not covered by insurance. So what they're saying is we have to pay for this and it's going to be over the next two years, basically $20,000 per unit. So you think like if there was, I don't know, I'll just, if there was 12 units, yeah, that's 250 grand, right? So it's a fair chunk of cash. I read this question as that that was on top of what they've already quoted, like that, that that $200 a week special levy is for something else, which obviously it might or might not be, which was a bit of a red flag for me because it looks like it's been scoped and quoted. Maybe the scoping is that it is actually part of that special levy, but I'd get very clear on what's the special levy mm. exactly covering because then you don't want it to keep going up or increasing. Yeah, I've read it as this is the quote and the allocation per unit uh. is $200 per week. And also, if you've had any trades done in the last few years, quote versus what stuff costs, in my experience, is quite different. Mm. So I'd want to be very clear mm. whether there's some buffer and fat in there as well, because if you're right at the edge of your budget being able to take on that special levy or there's extra interest rate rises, you don't want to find out that it ends up costing a whole, especially when you're talking about things like groundworks, where you can start to dig and things become very tricky very quickly. I don't know. There's quite a lot of red flags here for me. Yeah. So with this... Are you saying there's enough red flags for you just to not even worry and find another unit? <sighs> so what's so tricky, and if you've tried to buy a property before, you'll know this, and especially at the moment where, A, it's super hard to get in and get a lot of the boxes ticked, which it looks like there is a lot of boxes being ticked in this one. Like the competition can feel so, you know, heartbreaking when you find one that you love and then something's wrong with it or you get, you know, outbid or whatever. But when I first went to buy a property that I really wanted and I didn't get it, I really remember the buyer's agent looking at me into my soul and saying, Jess, there is always another property. And it was such good advice. And look, if I didn't buy another property and I waited, obviously the market's gone up a lot. Um, that would have been really frustrating. But I think it is important to remember that you know, whilst we do have low stock selling at the moment, you've got to be really honest about the pros and cons and you've got to factor in all of, you've got to be a bit of a pessimist and think about like, what if everything goes really wrong here? Mm -hmm. And what if this takes a long time? Like if you're going to have tenants that are living in building works for years, they're probably not going to want to pay market rent. Like there's a lot of things that I think you need to think about. And then you need to sit back and go, am I using my logical brain to make this decision or do I just really love it or I'm really frustrated and overspending every Saturday traipsing around and I just want to get this done and then decide whether it's worth it or not? I don't know if I personally would go for a property like this. Mm. Yeah, I actually just read there that it was actually eight, not 12. So still 160 yeah. grand worth of work. Yeah, I think what I'm probably doing, anyone who is looking to buy in Strata, I own properties that are part of Strata, um, 
as part of your due diligence, and this is great that we've, we're clear about it, it's happening. You can just ask the agent to say who is the strata company who's been organizing it. And usually you can pay and get copies of the last few years, AGMs and minutes, and you can just scroll through and you really want to make sure there is meat in the sinking fund and in the administration fund, uh, because that's where the the problems will start if there is regular and ongoing maintenance and there's no money in the sinking fund. But this kind of, and they call it like the special levies, mm. this stuff you can't predict. Mm. And someone actually messaged me and I couldn't find the inbox um, that they did it. I just remember reading whether it was in the personal one or the uh, podcast one, and this is so wild. Uh, this guy messaged me, he's like, I have no idea what to do. Uh, we've just settled an apartment within the last six months and we've just received, and it might have even been shorter, we've just received a special levy of $100,000 per unit and my wife's about to have her first baby and go off work and, like, just devastating because what do you do? Like, it's no one can just come up with that amount of money. The, this is the crazy red flag stresses me out being an owner in Strata with all these special levies, um, but it's real and we need to talk about it. Look, I absolutely, if you are going to go in and say, hey, it's not a deal breaker, we understand that it's going to be fixed and the contractors are going to have some warranty on the fact that they can sort it out and I would imagine there's engineering reports and all that stuff, absolutely. I'm taking probably 30 grand straight off the top. <laughs> like, well, I think I'm taking more. Yeah, and that's why. I, yeah, that's why I went thirty. Like I'm not dicking around with this, but yeah, it's it's a negotiation, and the market will the market will dictate for sure. And it, it's probably why it's for sale. Uh, and as I said to you, if there's going to be pretty significant groundworks that are happening, it might take a long time to find a tenant. I obviously don't know where this is located. Yeah. Uh, or you might have a tenant who's living in a shit show for months and months and rightly they're going to ask for a rental reduction. So factor that in when you're going for it as well. Yeah, and I think you're right, Jess. Like if you're doing this as an investment property, like, just move on. There's plenty of other properties that you can buy as an investment property. Like or just move on. Like such a discount. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need it to be like tens and tens of thousands of dollars to be worth it because mm. as I said with Groundworks, I've watched enough grand designs in my time. Mm. You can get engineer reports and I strongly encourage you to review everything. Uh, but when they start digging, things can unearth themselves, hence mm. the term, and you might be up for a whole heap more. So make sure that you factored in some danger money, if you will, because to the point of that poor person, like imagine if it goes up double for a period of time, like can you handle it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm moving yeah, on. One, probably you, you. no, move on. Two, absolutely take at least 20 or 30 grand off your offer. Have you had any weird wins or losses with Strata in your life experience? Uh, my fundamental belief that there is uh, always one most annoying person on the Strata committee and is normally the person that has lived there the longest and therefore believes that their sort of voice is the most important one. But I would suggest yeah. to you, if you are buying an apartment or if you are an owner of an apartment, and Glenn, I'd be keen for your thoughts, like I would get on the strata committee because you want to know what is going on, what's being planned, who are these people and what are they doing with the money that you're contributing. And there's, mm. I've heard so many people over the years be frustrated at what the strata's 
you know, agreed to. But then I'm like, well, why haven't you joined the committee? You're an owner. Like you should, mm. if, if you care and if you are worried about how they're deploying your funds, it's annoying and you'll have to go to some meetings, but at least then you'll you'll have a better understanding of what's going on and you can factor that in because if you can see that they're talking about things or that they're going to run out of cash, mm. you want to make sure you're ready for that. Are you part of Strata Committees for yours? Um, no, because it was more of a time thing and the property, the one that is the apartment is brand new anyway. Um, mm. And I've really just kept an eye on all the meeting minutes. I did go to one meeting and I'm glad I did because some of the silliness that was getting raised, <laughs> like someone was like, can we hang artwork in the common areas outside our house? Can we put our own um, furniture in the doorways in the common area? And they were talking about it. Like, oh, yeah. and, I'm like, and I put my hand up and I'm like, hey, and I wasn't, I'm not on the committee. So technically the residents that are there don't have a say, they can observe, but thankfully they let me have a say. I said, hey, the answer's got to be no. Number one, fire won't let you put random furniture all through the common area. Two, artwork, what's art to you could be offensive to someone else and it's probably also a fire issue. Three, it's a friggin' apartment building. You live in an apartment building. If you want to go and buy a house and decorate the outside, knock yourself out, out, it's an apartment building. And then they're like, oh, well, what about we do someone's reached out and wants to do group exercises in the common area and, you know, Zumba or something like that. And I'm, and I said, Hey, there's people that live here that might be shift workers. It's not a country club. Sure. Organize it, but meet in the park. That's actually across the road. It's a public park, literally open park. So the problem I found is there is just no common sense at a lot of these strata meetings. And I probably need to go to the next one and, um, Mm just make sure, but it just drives the, the lack of practical intelligence and common sense blows my mind. What I have learned with my 35 years on this earth is that common sense is not common. It's very misleading. mm. I also just quickly to that point, I had a friend move to quite a posh area in Sydney recently to an apartment block and they had such a problem with their removalist. Often you have this because you have to book it Mm. in and blah, blah, blah. But the issue was, and I loved this, because apparently this art, this uh, apartment block has really expensive artwork. And so because the removalists were keeping the doors open as they were coming and going, people were having an absolute freak out. And I'm like, what? This is not an art gallery. Why would you have artwork yeah. that's worth anything on the wall? This is a huge security risk because even if people were let in through a buzzer, Who's to say that they're not just going to yeah. take the art off the wall as they've left their mate's house? Anyway, I just thought it was, I was like, only in Sydney, God. Yes, yes. Anyway. It's just wild, some of the stuff. It's like, it's an apartment, common area is common, keep your crap away, don't have expensive stuff. Like, no. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm not buying it. If you if you put this no. uh, in front of me, I'm saying thank you, unless I'm buying it for a steal, I'm sadly moving on. Yeah. Tara said, hey all, we want to gift our niece shares for her 16th birthday. My sister is 100% happy for the account to be opened in her name and then transfer when our niece is 18. Is this the best way to do it? What are you saying to Tara? And have you had any experience investing uh, for nieces or nephews? And we're not talking about direct uh, lineage 
kids or anything. We're talking about nieces and nephews. And we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to listen to my two-part deep dive episode on investing for kids, where you can just search My Millennial Money Investing for Kids. There's a blog there with all the details. But so on this niece thing, what are you doing Mm -hmm. in Tara's situation, Jess? Uh, Yeah, I have two nieces. They've never received a gift from me. Um, When they were born, I set up an education bond for them or an investment bond for them. I bought them a box on Etsy with their name uh, embossed in it and every year I write them a letter for Christmas or their birthday and I do stupid things like how much coffee costs and who the Prime Minister is and what they've done over the year and, you know, like hilarious little interactions that we've had and then they get money into their investment bond. And, look, my Mm. nieces are tiny and so if the time frame on that works really well and I don't want to pay the tax along the way and I don't want all the capital gains tax issues when I finally transfer it over to them but you know I didn't grow up with money I didn't grow up with any sort of education around money and I just think that more and more people are starting to a not have children or not starting to but are having a child free life uh, and therefore looking at the little people in their world, be it their nieces, nephews, etc., and wanting to set them up for success, which I think is so exciting and exactly what I did. So there are obviously different ways that you can do this. My overall comment would be that how I've set it up is one way to do it, and I think it has a lot of pros and cons, but the timing of it doesn't work for this question that Tara has because Tara's talking about a 16-year-old who she wants to give the funds to or transfer it to only two years away, um, my general sort of information to know about investment bonds is you really need like a 10 year plus lead time for them to work. So uh, firstly, well done, Tara. This is really exciting. Secondly, think about whether an 18 year old, think about whether 18 year old you would be able to make mature decisions with the money that you are gifting to them, because it might be that they are really responsible and you have lots of confidence. It might be actually that you're prepared to wait till they're 25. I know that 18-year-old me versus 25-year-old me probably had, you know, some differences in terms of how I would see it. And if they see it as free money and blow it and that wasn't why you'd set it up, you need to have some pretty good conversations around it. And and I would say you should talk to your niece about this now. Um, the timing here is is really short. So I think that you can go a couple of ways because you might be overcomplicating this in terms of investing Mm. when you think about transferring, you know, um, the funds to them when they turn 18 and the capital gains tax considerations. But then you might get more growth than, say, putting it in a high interest bank account. Yeah, I'm probably, Tara, just keeping that money for her in your own bank account or on your own offset and let her know, hey, once you turn 18, we're going to open an investment account in your own name and then transfer that over. And we're going to educate you along the way. We're going to buy you a copy of a a book to read or you do an online investing school, but we want you involved. And I just think, yeah, a couple of years because alternatively, if we did it where we want to put um, the money so her Tara's sister, which is the mum, if we opened an account and had the sister as the informal trustee or even Tara as the informal trustee of this money, the 16-year-old, you know, and they may already have a, um, a tax file number if they are working part-time, but that money is likely to get um, taxed at the highest rate. So, mm-hmm. and if the 16-year-old isn't working and there's no need for the 16-year-old to work for whatever reason. You're just going to have to pay to do a tax return for the child each year uh, for the next two years. 
And I just think, mm. sure, you can. Uh, but in answer to your question, is this the best way to do it? I think the best way, short term in investing land, as you said, 10 years probably for an investment bond. Mm general growth assets, four years, two years, just keep saving cash and just give the cash. The other thing that you can do in the interim is if you really want them to start, you know, this is a long-term investment journey, like the ASX have a great game that they put on to help you sort of understand more about the share market. Maybe you could do that with her so that she can, you know, learn more about how the stock market works and things to consider and not have to have any money in there. And then the other thing is if she is working, and obviously this is budget dependent um, and you'd need to keep track of it and commit to not spending the money, by the way, if you've got the money in the you know offset account or a bank account, is maybe you agree that up to a certain level, if she contributes a certain amount of money for every dollar that she contributes, you might decide you are able to match it up to a dollar point or that you're able to contribute, I don't know, 50 cents for every dollar or whatever is right for you. Because what we want to do is, we want to teach them how to fish. We want them to have skin in the game and we want them to see that they are contributing to their future and that it's not just landing on their lap as sort of a free win. Um, I always love looking for teachable moments and I think, you know, 16-year-olds are able to have a job. Why not use it as an opportunity for them to get some skin in the game that they're contributing to it as well and that you'll safeguard it, you just need to safeguard it, um, and just see what behaviourally they do because that will tell you whether they are responsible enough to get an, mm. a, a, a pile of cash land in their laps at 18. Yeah, and the reason why I've got an investment bond for my niece and nephews is just the estate planning. Um, it's in my name. They're listed as beneficiaries, so if I die, um, it effectively goes over to them. There's a note of what – it's a non-binding note of this money is intended to do this or this is what it's for, and then I don't have to put any of the income details on my own tax return. Yeah. And then if one of the kids gets locked up for doing dumb things or people make bad decisions, if they make some bad decisions, I can just take their name off the bond as a beneficiary mm. and it remains my money. So that's why I use an investment bond. And I was just trying to log into my account. And I couldn't get it up. A lot of people go, oh, the returns are crap. Well, I looked since inception, you know, it's done like eight and a half percent. That's after fees and taxes. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a great return. Uh, my uh, niece's funds are invested in uh, like a Vanguard product. Yeah. And, and yeah, so are mine. And I think 8% is probably a little bit high, but it just must have been the initial capital got in at a good time or something like that. I don't know. Mm, I think you certainly pay more in fees and that's something that a lot of people need to get their head around. Um, however, if you look at the tax benefits, particularly if you're on a tax rate that's higher than 30% and you are wanting mm. to transfer it and that's the intention and therefore you're not going to have capital gains tax, it makes so much sense to me. Where I think you need to really read the fine print when we're talking about investment bonds is around the 125% rule because you don't want to have a year where you've not contributed and then not be able to continue to contribute and need to open a new one. So if you uh, basically put 10 grand in to start it, the next year you can't put more than 12,500 in. Yeah. And then if you don't put any money in, you can't put any additional money in. You don't lose the money that's already in there. You just, for no. the rest of the remainder of the time until they yep. pull the money out, you just can't, yep. it can grow, but you just can't add any extra funds in. So you just want to be damn sure that if you're using that, either it's a one and done or that you've financially got capacity to do it year on yep. year or that you're comfortable that one year, if it's a no-go, that you can't keep going. And I must do a public correction. I oh. was on another podcast and I said I've got Gen Life with my investment bonds and their admin's sloppy. 
because I put a form in to stop the monthly debits because I'm just going to do it once a year, not monthly now. Um, the funny <laughs> public correction, I didn't end up sending that email. Um, the file, oh. I thought I'd sent it. Uh, and I found it in my documents, so I sent it and they actioned it within the two days. So uh, public correction and apology for me um, saying Gen Life uh, don't have a good admin team. Isn't Grant Hackett the CEO over there? He'll be happy yeah, to yeah. hear that. Hmm. Yeah, he's been on the show before. Oh, we we'll have to get him on your podcast. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Let's answer Deborah's question. Deborah says, I have an SMSF, but have done very little with it. It was set up for me ages ago. Within it, I mortgaged a house, paid it off last year. Now we have some cash in there. Would you buy high dividend shares or would you buy buy it into a managed portfolio? I am also contemplating just opening a retail fund and moving the cash in there so they can handle it. I know this means more fees. Ideas, welcome. Yeah, well, Deborah, I've done very little with it. I think you've done a lot with it. You've paid a house off mm. <laughs> in the self-managed super fund and and there's money uh, accumulating in there. Look, really, these situations, you can't wreck it. Like, sure, you can walk over to any retail or industry fund and say, I want to create a new account and just pump that with employee contributions or move the cash, roll over the cash to there. You can do that. That's fine. I'm probably more likely because you've got to pay for the annual auditing and account fees anyway for the super fund, you can go to any brokerage or uh, investment platform and open an account owned by the self-managed super fund and just buy, like if you just bought IVV and IOZ ETFs, like that's your US top 500 and your Australian top 200, like you could do something as simple as that. would you buy high dividend shares or would you buy into a managed portfolio? Yeah, number one, I'm probably not doing single stocks. I am doing more of a managed portfolio. Now, that could mean um, an ETF, like some examples I've mentioned. It could mean uh, a Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund, uh, which is the one-stop shop. Or, and I'm just thinking about this one, Deborah, you could see someone like Stockspot and have an account owned by them. So at least you do have some type of portfolio and rebalancing and all that. So realistically, the self-managed super fund is just an entity, no different than a company, it's a trust or your own name that you can buy investments in. Uh, I think it is more, um, look, I'm going out on a limb as well. Um, Owning a property within your super fund, you said ages ago, I have not met many Debras in their 30s. So I'm going to assume you might be over 45. I'm probably getting some advice uh, because there could be some broader strategic things that you need to consider rather than just walking in and buying some managed funds with that or setting up another super fund. So that's kind of my two cents on the issue. Yeah. I think it also depends like how much interest you have, how much you are going to if, if you're going down the single stock selection, you know, you might get into it and read all about it once and never again. And that's definitely not how you need to stylistically approach that strategy if you're going to do it. It sounds to me like you're looking for high dividend shares. And so, I mean, you can do a combo, like not to make things overly complicated, but there are people who buy ETFs and they might put a portion of their money into, you know, some of the high dividend stuff in single stocks. But for most people, we've got to set up financial systems that work whether we are asleep or awake. And, you know, the more manual intervention that 
we have to have to make our strategy work, the more I see people tripping themselves up just as a general life admin thing. And so if you don't have the time nor inclination to really be across it all, outsourcing it to an ETF or managed fund provider just means that they're doing all that hard work for you. And you don't have a worry that you've overweighted yourself in a particular asset or you haven't rebalanced or whatever it is. uh, And that years down the track, you think, oh God, I didn't really understand what the hell I was doing. I think it's probably a get advice chat. Yeah. And the reason I think it is an advice chat, Jess, you know, the high dividend thing, why does someone want high yield on their shares? And that's potentially for income. Yeah. So is there a pension phase that needs to be set up Mm -hmm. or do we need to set, like get ready for a pension phase in eight years or something like that? And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, Mm. I'm just not doing individual shares because I've been ranting lately I shared a reel on Instagram and it was a graph of the big four share price, right? And if you chose, say, ANZ because you bank with them and they're awesome and all that stuff and you're like, oh, I want to buy shares in ANZ, you pick the wrong bank for return on investment. <laughs> like you should have mm. bought CBA shares categorically over the last six, seven years. So we don't do individual stocks. But what you can do, as an example, Vanguard have a an ETF, the Vanguard Australian Shares High Yield Fund, the ticker is VHY. And effectively, that ETF just invests in high yielding Australian shares. So you got your diversification. And hmm. it's, it's cheap. It's point, yeah, 0.25 PA. So it's fine. And I'd be more inclined if you didn't want to get advice, if you didn't want to look at your whole situation, why wouldn't you set up a brokerage account or a platform and just invest into a, um, a, a high yield ETF? Uh, but then begs the question, it's like, do we want international exposure? I don't know. Mm. I would say just on that, if you're going to do that, there's a couple of things that I would look for ahead of time. I'd look at what's the reporting that you get for the price you pay. Because often with people with platforms, they're looking for the lowest cost. And I'm like, Make sure you're comfortable with the reporting you get. I often ask um, my members to look at whether you can get what's called unrealized capital gains tax reporting because you want to be able to see if I sold this asset, what's the position that I'm in and you want to be able to sort of forecast that ahead of time. Uh, So, yeah, I would look into platforms that give you more functionality from a reporting perspective and also auto rebalancing features. Again, we want to get out of our own way and if you're going to have to manually go in and reweight stuff or buy more things individually... It just leads to slippage. <laughs> mm, absolutely. So, hey, good problem to have. We definitely want to do something because we've got the property there. Mm. And what are we going to do with the property? Like what's the property worth? Do you still want to be a landlord even though it's in the super fund? You might want to be. Uh, so, yeah, I think advice is needed. And if you are, you know, staring down pre-retirement planning, uh, do reach out to uh, the Financial Advisors Financial Edge Group They've been on the Retire Right podcast, um, so you'll be in great hands with uh, the team at Financial Edge Group. They're in, um, they're on the central coast of New South Wales, but they help uh, people all over Australia. My parents are clients, and they live in Queensland. So yeah, you got to get advice. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the community segment of the week. This segment is brought to you by Sky Wealth. Making sure your life and income protection insurances are sorted should be one of the four foundations in your financial life. If you have not got life and income insurance, forget holidays, forget new cars, forget investing, forget everything. Your financial reason for living is to make sure you have protection in place because if the money stops, if you get sick or have an accident and you can't work, it's too late if you don't have insurance. If you die, and we're talking real, I've been to too many funerals with people that are young, under 40 dying, it's really annoying me, uh, make sure that if you've got dependents and debt, that there is adequate life insurance to make sure that there's no financial issues. So you can head to sky.com.au and uh, reach out to the team, 15 minute discussion, and they can point you in the right direction. We asked you in the Facebook group, what hands-on skill has saved you heaps of money? Oh, I'm actually interested in reading this. I have no hands-on skills. You do. I don't. Anyway. No, it's probably true. (laughs) It is true. (laughs) It's true. Uh, These are great, by the way. Mm. Melody, making charcuterie tables with Aldi groceries. Aldi is my number one friggin' go-to place. I was quoted over two grand and made my own for 350 bucks. $2,000. How much cheese were they planning on giving you? Gosh. That's amazing. Aldi... They reached out and wanted to sponsor the podcast last year and they haven't got back to me. So if you're still listening, we need you. We Aldi, want you. I am your biggest fan. Yeah. I Look, there's an Aldi near me. It's closer than my usual Woolworths. I might go there this afternoon because I need to get some veggies. You know, <laughs> never know when I need some ski gloves. Am I right? Oh, my only issue, and please, Aldi, keep the sponsorship conversations going if you're listening, is I always tell people, just got to stay away from the middle. I love the middle. I know. That's why it's in there. Otherwise, you end up with a garden gnome. When don't you need ski gloves, a camping fridge and a deck chair? When don't you need that? Never. <gasps> oh. You always need it. <sighs> Jerry, learning how to create cakes and make cake toppers, I paid two fifty for my daughter's first cake. <whistles> I realised that... I will be spending at least 500 bucks a year for a cake. Yep, there you go. Can we talk about this? We can. What happened to A, making a cake, a shit one, from the Women's Weekly thing, uh, book, if you haven't mm-hmm. got one, you should, or secondly, just buying a cake from Woolworth. Your, look, you do you. 
the amount of first birthdays I have been to that look like a wedding and mm. everyone is so stressed because they want to make sure that it looks Instagram worthy and the kids are playing with the wrapping paper. That's I'm what like, I was going to say. One word. Sarah Lee cake. Instagram. Yeah. One word, Instagram. I saw a great thing on this. A lady has four boys and they created this family tradition where they all get like different chocolate bars. So they all get their favourite chocolate bars. So she obviously buys them ahead. And their job is to decorate the store-bought cake with all... It looks hilarious. It's all smooshed up violet crumbles and Snickers and all things. And their kids have so much fun. The parent, you know, doesn't have to spend hours in the kitchen or spend hundreds of dollars making cake. I just don't get it. Mm. Mm. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, Joe. Anyway, what do you think about cakes, Jess? Let us know. Uh, <laughs> Doug, I would say building basic furniture, but IKEA still be cheaper. Mm-hmm. I reckon if you are in a new relationship, anyone, go to IKEA together. And not like on a – I usually go like at 7 p.m. on a weeknight. Go to IKEA together on a Saturday or Sunday at lunchtime. Buy some furniture take it home and assemble it together. Why? If you survive that, you're good for anything. <laughs> no, Glenn, you were going to have me be alone forever. No, no. Mm-hmm. Mm. What did Daniel say? <sighs> Daniel says, this is a good one. This would save so much money. Welding and maintaining cars, which has ironically also cost me more money due to now having too many ideas and too many cars. <laughs> Daniel's a mad dog. We, um, he's, I've flagged him as a group expert, Daniel Cunningham in the Facebook group. He's a financial advisor in Western Sydney and um, he races cars. Last time I did a track day at Eastern Creek, he came along with us. So that was fun. I actually want to sponsor his car just for lols. Oh, dear. Uh, Anna says, a vegetable garden, and then she puts a photo of what can only be assumed as her own veggie plot, and it looks amazing. I think about how much veggies are costing at the moment. That is spectacular. Um, This one. Yeah. What (laughs) hands-on skills has saved you heaps of money? (laughs) Mick said, and I'm going to say your full name, Mick. Mick Buff said staying married. There you go. He's not wrong. I hear he's a handful in the bedroom. One of the most important (laughs) financial decisions you're ever going to make is who you marry. Absolutely. Bloody expensive to get divorced. Marry well, people. (sighs) Love that, Mick. We'll bounce out of that section now and into the housekeeping. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We have a lot of fun making podcasts, talking about you, your life and your money. Uh, Just some housekeeping I want to talk about today. Sort your property out. John's new book is coming out in February. It's perfect for first home buyers or investors. And it really is a handbook for investing in property in a smart and strategic way. There's a link in the show notes if you want to buy that. If you call this podcast home and you enjoy our content and you've got a job and you've got some money, can you please support us? Pay a membership fee under $30 to get this book into your hands. Number one, it will support us and get the book out there more. Number two, it will actually add so much value if you do want to buy a house. And if you're like, oh, I don't need to buy a house, guess what? It's a great gift for a friend or family member. So please show John the respect that is due because he did such a great job on this book and it is very, very practical. Um, Yeah, I'm really pumped about it. Uh, Speaking of books... We're starting a book club and you're welcome to join us. We'll pick one book a month and read it at the same time, then chat about it in the Facebook group. January, we're doing The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And you can click a link in the show notes if you want to buy that. I'm actually thinking, everyone, and I haven't 
asked her yet, but Jess in our team, I might get her to do maybe once a month, uh, put in the Facebook group, what's everyone think of the book or what's the one takeaway and get Jess to jump on and just do a Saturday little uh, book club podcast episode and she can just read everyone's comments about the book and what they've got from it. Um, I think that could be a lot of fun. But Jess... We'll talk about your clarity calls um, maybe after next question. But finally, just as a PSA in the Facebook group, uh, lots of people's profiles um, on Facebook get hacked. And if they have been hacked and they're part of groups, they post stuff. And that's why you see a lot of spam in Facebook groups. We don't let a lot of uh, these spam taken over accounts in. But if someone's account has been taken over... um, for example, I saw one the other day, it was a girl in Brisbane and thankfully the Facebook filter picked it up and I thought she was just selling Taylor Swift tickets and it didn't approve her post but I'm like, ah, oh, she's selling four Taylor Swift tickets. I'm going to message her and decline it from the group so I can buy them. Anyway, <laughs> spoiler alert, I didn't get scammed um, but I thought she was legitimate until I said hi and she was rude to me. And I'm like, no, she wouldn't be rude to me. I think this is a scam. And I was like, and I pretended I knew her. I was like, no, I can bring you cash to work today. We were talking about this yesterday. And they're like, it was was funny. So That's a pro move. I mean, not to say that you were talking about it yesterday, but to be like, well, I can just drop it. You're my neighbour. I'll just drop it next door now. Yeah. That's smart, Glenn. Well done, you. So anyway, that's the housekeeping. Okay, Emma. Hi, everyone. I was wondering if anyone has any recent experience with Spaceship and specifically jumping ship from it. I've got about 8K across the three portfolios, question mark, and I currently have a return on all of them. I've been trying to read up people's experiences slash opinions of Spaceship, but they seem to be a little dated. I'm wondering if I'd be better pulling this money out and one, putting it into my mortgage or B, putting it into a different platform. I also have about $600 in sharesies, and that's sitting at a small loss. TIA, thanks in advance. What are you saying to Emma? Any time that we're buying or selling an asset, we want to have a really good reason why. And I often find that when there's stuff in the media or things happen, you know, people can panic and they can be like, oh God, well, I need to change or I'm invested in them or what does this mean for me? And they make, you know, really big investment decisions because they're coming from a place of fear. So from what I understand, spaceships last year, Glenn, uh, got into a little bit of trouble in terms of how they were advertising. I think it was how they were advertising their portfolios versus what was actually invested in their portfolios, correct? Yeah, they they pressed pause on new money because I believe their um, TMD document had an error in it. I mean, spaceships being plagued kind of from the start because when they started, they were like, we invest in the most futuristic portfolios, blah, 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 and then the regulator tapped them on the shoulder and and I think fined them because the majority of their fund was an index fund. So they're like, well, you're not actually actively doing squat, Um, hypothetically, allegedly, and all that. So, yeah, Yeah. um, it's been a bit plagued along the way. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, that what you're invested in isn't right for you, and I think that that's my point. It's like make sure that you're doing this due diligence not because you're reading about people like saying that it's dated or that other people are leaving. Like we want to make sure that you're doing it because it's the right 
decision for you. Now, if they're not going to allow you to invest in something that you want to invest in, or you're not happy with what you're currently investing, you know, there needs to be some sort of basis. I guess what I just get really worried about is, you know, the doom and gloom or the stuff that you read that's like clickbaity and headlining and people are like, oh shit, that's me. I need to move everything. It's like, okay, well, let's just take a big deep breath here and think about why. Because mm. it might still be perfectly adequate for what you need it for. And if it's not, then obviously your question's irrelevant and valid. From what I've read is that if you're going to, if you've got ETFs, you can potentially transfer them from say spaceships to a different platform. Obviously the new platform needs to be able to accept what we call an in-species transfer. Um, so you need to make sure that that's a goer. And I think it's about 200 bucks as some sort of exit fee from spaceships. So you can't um, transfer any fractional stuff that they might have or anything that's a little bit complicated i think it's just etfs that they'll let you transfer yeah and i think just looking at their site the etfs are for the u.s market not the um spaceship voyager australian mm. money mm. i think because there's three portfolios spaceship universe spaceship earth spaceship origin portfolio which i think they're unlisted managed funds but you can buy into the US market directly. I'm just reading this live, everyone. And I'm not an expert of every financial product out there. And Neither. I don't care to be. Um, it's just knowing what to look at when you are looking at them. And then US investing, unlock the US market with as little as $10. So you can fractional into US or... So yeah, so basically you can in-specie ETFs out, but I don't think Emma has ETFs. So, but all that I reckon, Jess, is after the fact. I reckon... She's got a decision to make. Mm, she does. One, am I an investor with my $8,000 and my $600? If the answer is yes, what is the most appropriate platform and investment option for me going forward? That's a decision. The second one is, no, interest rates are high now. I just want to focus and pump my mortgage. The mm. third option could be as well, well, this money, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I could contribute it to superannuation as a personal contribution, mm -hmm. boost my super eight grand, claim out on tax in mm. June and just continue salary sacrificing at work. Again, there's so many options, but this whole spaceship thing over the last few years, it's taught people three things, right? The first thing that it's taught people is a lesson in investment time horizons. <laughs> like a lot of people are like, oh, and I saw the, the websites were like, we did 30% in the last 12 months. People were seeing that and putting new money in. So people have learned about investing time horizons. The second thing people have learned about was single sector risk, mm. all tech stocks, all mm. potentially high volatile single sector risk. They've learned about that. And the third thing that Spaceship has taught people is understanding investment risk profile uh, because you might not have a 100% growth risk profile that's 100% in tech stocks, which is probably mostly in the US. So it really has taught people a lot of lessons. And I think the fourth lesson is how good marketing is. And that's a lesson we all need to learn from our investing to our mm. consumption of soft drinks and healthy water. So we've always got to look what's actually in the box. Um, and that's kind of what I think the three lessons are when it comes to spaceship over the last handful of years. Hmm, good one. Hmm. John says, hi guys, can anyone recommend an app for keeping receipts mainly for tax purposes? Cheers. Hashtag receipt management. What do you do? Oh, I 
have uh, a lovely bookkeeper and she has got me on, I think it's called Dext, D-E-X-T. Yeah, I use that. But, but that's for business stuff, not personal, right? Well, that's what I use it for and then it just dovetails ever so nicely into zero and mm. magically sorts itself out. But I think a lot of the, don't a lot of the big banks now have like little places that you can keep receipts for your personal stuff? I don't know. In an app? <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> well, the ATO has an app. So check that out as the go-to. Hmm. Um, that would be the first one. It's a free ATO app. I'd probably recommend that, Sean. Secondly, what I personally do is for all my... Per- so, and that's it. Like we've all got, uh, if you're self-employed or not, like Jess and I are self-employed, we've still got personal expenses and personal things that we claim on tax. In my Dropbox, I've got a tax folder and then from 2010 when I started it, there's folders down to 2024 for this financial year. If I donate uh, to a charity, it's like, oh, so-and-so is doing a charity bike ride, I'll donate and just save that receipt in that Dropbox folder. If it's buying a new dishwasher for the investment property, I'll put it in that folder. Anything that isn't business-related that I keep for tax, I just take a photo. The Dropbox app is awesome. You can save it as a PDF. It's so good. Uh, But there's no real recommended app other than I think the ATO app. I have toyed about paying my bookkeeper to also bookkeep my personal expenses, but I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) Stay tuned. Well, I I think I'd be too ashamed of how much I spend. (laughs) I'm like, my spending plan's good and there's no accountability. Back off. Um, everything that we don't teach. Good one, Glenny. Good one. Um, yeah, I do the same. I just have a personal folder that I shove all my stuff in, uh, with sort of reckless abandon, really. I just chuck everything in the subfolder. And then when it comes tax time, I forage through and off I go. Mm. Have to say though, naming stuff is important. Otherwise you spend, I try to name them properly and then Mm. shove them in. It's my one tip. I like this question from Emily and we'll finish up on it right after we talk about your clarity calls. So you do general advice sessions on the phone, uh, similar to John's property clarity calls, but someone like, um, or we talked about before, Emma may benefit from a clarity call from you. You're not going to say, I think you should sell and buy BHP or CBA shares. No, no, no. But it could get someone out of their own head and get some clarity of how they can move forward and and what areas that they might need to get advice on. Uh, You've started doing these clarity calls for our listeners uh, at the end of last year. Mm. Without mentioning names and all the private details, like what were some of the things that you talked about on these clarity calls with our listeners? I think the common theme, and thank you to the beautiful people that have already done clarity calls with me, is that they're at a decision point and they really want to understand if they turn left, what does that look like and what should they look out for? Or if they turn right, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, most of the people that I've spoken to so far are wanting to really educate themselves on sort of the broader landscape. And you don't want to do the thing where you make a decision and then learn afterwards. Oh God, I didn't understand or think about, etc. So the people that, you know, I've had big uh, discussions with so far, definitely have had, you know, an opportunity to level up or change something or start doing something new and they just want to get it right. And what's so lovely, because I'm still a licensed financial advisor, is that, as you say, it's a general advice, one hour chat. My job is to hopefully have people receive a lot more clarity on, you know, what are those different decisions uh, potentially mean so that they can go away and make the right decision for them. And I think it's really good if you're not ready 
for full financial advice and you've got a decision that you need to make and you want to chat it through with an expert to give you some guidance but not necessarily give you the exact thing that you need to do. Yeah, and if you did listen to the Focus Friday sessions that we recorded at the end of last year as well on the podcast, it'd be very similar to that. Um, Third-party person listening, challenging, asking questions, and it really could be the clarity that you need to start the year. And and Jess will tell you, she, she'll be like, look, I think you need to go and get advice now on this situation. Absolutely 101. I was like, no, nah, you don't need advice. Friggin' just pay off your credit card and get a budget. And yeah, I think you are ready to buy a house. It sounds like you are. What, what am I missing? So I just think for um, $350, uh, you can have an hour with a licensed financial advisor just to bounce your situation off. Do you send any pre-questions uh, people, there's a form where people can actually yep. just, uh, fill in some info about them. In fact, someone emailed me today who I'm speaking to on Friday and said, do I need to fill in anything else? And I just told them, you know, if you want to come with your assets and liabilities based on what they'd already filled out in the form, it'll make the best mm. use of the time together, but it doesn't need to be war and peace. Yeah. So if you want to book a clarity call, um, to get some clarity in your life, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes and Jess, uh, you've got a few slots in your calendar. I don't think you're going to do more than four a week. So um, everyone, if you want to book it in, <laughs> get it sorted as soon as you hear this because, um, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll finish with Emily. I just thought I would ask the Brains Trust for this one. Edit, edit in the post. They've organised their own portaloos and bins will be provided by us. Ooh. <laughs> We've been approached by a bloke needing somewhere to host his 50th. We're unsure of what a fair nightly fee would be for a full use of our farm for bushworks, direct access to river for fishing, etc. We're not greedy. We're not out to take advantage of people. We just want to put a payment directly back into the farm for maintenance and fences and fertilizers as we own it outright. Awesome. The group of uh, approximately 20 uh, would be utilizing our vacant 43 acres for four days. Uh, before anyone mentions it. Yes, we have farm insurance, including public liability, and they've checked all that stuff out. Just a group of people bringing their own rooftop tents slash camp trailers, but we don't have showers and toilets, just town water available. It's two kilometres into the main street of town, so very convenient. They would have the entire property to themselves for four days. Thanks. Any thoughts on this? Um, did you know that there's a website that exists called highcamp.com? Interesting. Mm. So you can go and find places where you can camp, so Ah. people's properties and stuff. So, Emily, I don't know whether you've found that, but that might help you figure out sort of what rates look like, um, remembering that it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. I think um, Hannah in the group said the one thing that I wanted to talk about first, holding a a refundable um, bond, even if it's $1,000, in case they ruin a fence or something. Yeah, like, and obviously no shooting. Um, if there is campfire, make sure it's in the current area. Mm. Um, just having some real clear guidance um, and particularly like, yeah, it's cars to this area only, no cars further. Look, in terms of dollar amount, I think it would be reasonable if I was hosting a 50th, which I'm not, because I'm not 50 yet, knocking on 50's door. Next Thursday on 50, everyone, jokes. Um, now, if I was hosting a, a birthday party on a property like that and there was um, 20 people, I would probably go, I don't know, $40 a night per person maybe or even start at $50 times four. That's our $200. Mm. 
you know, times our 20, that's $4,000. Maybe you can do like, hey, yeah, it's going to be two grand. Uh, I have some more specific money questions that I wanted to sort of think through. You know, I love insurance. I have some sort of bizarre obsession with insurance. Mm. I would just want to check that your public liability includes people who are not staff or et cetera, because normally if you have like a third party who's, I don't know, a contractor or something on your farm to do stuff, they actually have to have their own um, Mm. and it will only sometimes cover, I'm not talking about farm insurance, just general public liability will only cover potential staff. So I just want to get really clear because you wouldn't want... She is checked and they could Uh, rent it and... And to be honest, I think public liability, right? So if I've got public liability on my house, even as a if a tradie came who was uninsured and they fell over, my policy would still catch them, I'm pretty sure, because that's what it's for. It's liability insurance. Hmm, okay. Uh, but I, can- I, I, I might be wrong. I don't know. Just check the fine print. You just don't want someone to try to sue. But either way, for this situation, she's checked and it's all good because she wrote yeah, a cool. comment. So I'd be going on high camp and potentially looking at what those base day rates are, or you could just do what you did and do a general number. Uh, capital gains tax thoughts? Yeah, so that's the other thing as well. Uh, by the book, it will be treated as income. Um, and obviously, if you spend that money on the property, it will be uh, potentially offset by the expense, uh, which means if you are turning this property that you might live on one day is your principal place of residence if you build a house on there. Uh, that will mess with the CGT, the property. And this is the thing, like if this is a once-off pain in the backside thing, I'm like, yeah, $200 per person, 20 people, it's four, uh, just call it two and a half grand. Like just say it to them like that, two and a half grand, it's yours. Plus I'm holding, I want an upfront $550 bond or something like that. Because it's once off, we don't want drama in our life. If you were going to do this more regularly and ongoing, sure, you'd formalise it all, do a booking thing. Mm. I don't know, once off, it's a pain in the butt. And they said, like, it's a reliable person who's been in the town forever and all that. Just, I don't think there's any problems in doing it. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting one anyway I wanted to have a look at. Yeah, I mean... I don't camp, so I feel like I'm offering very little value, Mm. but I hope the 50th goes well. Mm, Happy birthday. Happy camper. Well, we might leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Jess, we are launching a podcast and you are the host of it. I know. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. We just wanted to do an alternative podcast for our community because we haven't done another general money podcast. We've done property, we've done uh, investing. Oh, we kind of did um, Devraga personal finance, but from a like a financial advisor qualified background, you know, we haven't done a, another one that's similar to, to this podcast. And we did toy with having Jess come on our main show here and helping out a little bit. And you'll hear on here as well in the future. But it was just apparent I still need to be around on the show. Um, It was more a succession play for me. Like if I wasn't around anymore or got cancelled or something like that, something weird happened, we wanted the business to go on. And we've resolved that it's going to be easier to diversify the business um, because I wanted Jess on a podcast. 
uh, and it's going to be easier for her to have her own show that will be part of this podcast community and the Facebook group and all that. So, I mean, if you wanted to go over and subscribe now, I'll make sure we've got some type of placeholder up. We might record a a little trailer when we meet in a couple of days, Jess, and just put a bit of a temporary thing up. The podcast, what's it called, Jess? Before we get there, can I just make this hilarious statement? So Glenn and I have been talking about this for months and we caught up, I don't know, a while ago and Glenn was, you know, like he'd text me, he was like, hey, like get into your emails before your EA sees this email I'd sent you about the podcast because it was all sort of secret squirrel still. Two days later, I get a text from one of my old one-on-one financial advice clients going, oh my gosh, I've just seen the announcement about the podcast. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, oh my goodness, how has this got out? Glenn had posted it on the Facebook group without telling me that it was gone public. So you're welcome. Thank you for that. I loved it. Uh, We are calling this podcast Financially Fierce. Ooh. So if you want to be financially fierce, you can be. Mm. I want people to be strong and feel confident and empowered Mm. about making money decisions. And I feel like Mm. so many people don't feel like that. And so for me, you know, it was a nod to how we want people to explore their money world and how we want people to feel. What's your first episode going to be? Ooh. Well, We're doing three, if I'm not mistaken, but I want to talk about empowerment and around Mm -hmm. financial empowerment and what are the steps, practical steps you need to take to get there and what it is and what what it isn't and how to, you know, feel more empowered with making money decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first one. And I think it's really good, not that I want to be very clear, this is not for just one type of person. I want inclusivity is at my core, but it really ties in quite nicely from a timing perspective around International Women's Day, which is excitingly all around economic empowerment this year. Yes, yes. So I think the first episode will be going up on Monday the 26th of February, which is the week before IWD. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, we'll just leak that there. We'll probably do some more ads and we'll get Jess on again uh, in a couple of weeks when we are formally launching it. But there you go, Financially Fierce, the mm-hmm. newest Australian money podcast that's going to rock your socks off. Can't wait. We'll leave it there. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Jess. We'll see you soon. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.